And I just find that blend between science, between high performance sport and between having some experience really helps the conversations with some of those high end executives because they're just like the three of us. They have challenges, they have problems. Uh, they might be leading a company, but that doesn't mean you know how to lead your thoughts and your body and everything else in between. At that stage, the persona I had was on TV, I'd written a book, I was doing some speaking, but I set myself up as the high performer because I'd been good at school, I'd been good at sport, and then I'd built and sold a business and I was good at that. So people got me because I was, a, in inverted commas, high performer. And then I went through a marriage breakdown. I now know I walked around with functioning depression. We work and we have worked with a number of execs over the years who've pushed themselves that hard. Words like downregulate, words like operating rhythm, words like mental skills. So they think it's a crock of shit. But they get to a stage where then they actually have to leave the career they're in. They've cooked themselves that much. There's no going back. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note before we start this episode. I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now let's get on to this week's guest. Andrew May, thanks for joining us. Good to chat. Looking forward to this conversation. Yes. uh, Yeah, it's great to connect with you, Andrew. Uh, Tim's, uh, you you know Tim from uh, way back and uh, Tim's put me on to some of your work and I've been reading MatchFit and enjoying it. I guess what prompted this conversation was an article in the Financial Review uh, a couple of months ago, which was about Generation X men, and uh, given I'm one of them, that was uh, I, I took note of it, how they are tackling their mortality. And it mentioned you, and Tim had already mentioned you to me, and so I, I noticed it, and it said, you've been coaching CEOs of ASX 50 companies so major corporations in Australia, such as Commonwealth Bank, Matt Common, uh, the CEO there. And then it got me thinking, I'm wondering, how do you go from being a performance coach of the Australian cricket team, if I'm getting that right, to coaching CEOs? Can you tell us a bit about that story, please, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. But before I do, if you want to know about being matched, look at the guy sitting on your left. I first met Tim 20 years ago. He still looks the same. We've got full head of hair. I'm very, very envious. So it's great to reconnect with Tim. Smoke and mirrors. So how, how did I end up coaching executives and doing mental skills for elite athletes around the world? There was no definitive plan, Jane. And and a lot of your listeners are going, what? You mean you didn't have a 20-year plan? No. (laughs) I I was a good athlete, not great. I I won multiple state championships, but never won at the the national level. Had a scholarship at the AIS in Tasmania, and we moved out to Hobart, which was wonderful in my early 20s, and I just finished studying exercise science. So I had a, a physiology base and then went to the Institute of Sport, and it was a great learning in that high-pressure environment. And when I look back, I got to the level I believed I could get to. And I believe coaches should coach what they're good at or what they've stuffed up. And if you can combine the two, you've got a really interesting mix. I left talent on the track, literally. 
for any athlete, any executive I work with, my, my real fuel is to help them fulfill their potential. So, so back to in Hobart, as a runner in Australia, you don't get paid a lot of money unless you're you know, a Craig Modrum or perhaps a uh, Sally Pearson. So I had to supplement my income back then. It's not politically correct, but I used to walk fat blokes. <laughs> it's it's now called personal training, so it's evolved a lot. <laughs> so the clients I had, and that's Timmy when I met you when I moved back to Sydney yeah. after I finished down in Tasmania. And, Gene, a lot of the clients I were training, they would lose 10 or 15 kilos. And then they'd say, hey, do you realize I'm not as cranky with my wife or my husband on the weekend and the kids are not saying I'm an a-hole? And I'm actually conscious at their school sport and I'm not just thinking about work. What, what's going on here? And I'm making better decisions and I'm more creative and we've opened up this other offshoot in Asia. Like, what have you done to me? And I said, I don't know, just keep walking, you know, don't drink as much alcohol and yeah, keep swimming in the ocean. So I then really started to look into, ooh, there's a, a link between well-being, physical and psychological well-being and executive performance. That was 20 plus years ago. Then I moved back to Sydney. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I was working in cricket. I was the fitness trainer for the New South Wales cricket team for eight years. And then an amazing opportunity was to travel the world with the Australian cricket team for a couple of years, did some work with the Sydney Swans. I've always danced between corporate work and because the personal training then evolved to corporate work because the men and women I was training ran companies and they said, hey, can you do this for our company? And Tim, you know this with a personal trainer background, you walk in there and go, how on earth do I run a program for 100 people? Well, if you've been doing it one-on-one, you just work out how to add group dynamics and amplify it because you've done a lot of the reps and sets. So that's really the evolution, Gene, uh, studying and then as an athlete, and then experience. That's over 25 years. And I added psychology. I did a degree, a master's in in coaching psychology. I finished that about five or six years ago. And that not only gave me confidence, because when you're in sport, you're actually not coaching at the high level. You're often telling. Because I wouldn't say to my cricketers, guys, what do you think? Let's have a dialogue around that. It's like, do this and get on with it. Mm. And I found when I shifted and some executives started to say, hey, can you come and work with me? Some of them left because I was very didactic. Here's what you got to do. I was treating them like an athlete. So I really needed to learn about conversations and listing, but still having a bit of a hard edge. And I say that to my clients. I'm not the coach who's going to sit down with you, have a cup of tea and sticky buns and talk about everything that's great. We've got to talk about real challenges and have some of the robust conversations. But I was very one way. Here's what you do rather than listening. So 25 years later, if I look at a blend of science, exercise physiology, primarily about the body, coaching psychology, primarily about behavior change in the brain, uh, working in sport as an elite athlete, but being good, not great, and then working across multiple sports. And now I've gone back into sport. I worked for the last two years with the Parramatta Eels as their mental skills coach, and I've signed on this year with the mighty Manly Sea Eagles. And I work with a range of other athletes, one of those being Tim Zhu, a uh, wonderful young boxer who's okay. got another fight in two weeks. And then experience in the corporate world has given me a unique set of skills that, as I said, I've never targeted to say, hey, here's a career plan. And I just find that blend between science, between high-performance sport and between having some experience really helps the conversations with some of those high-end executives because they're just like, the three of us, they have challenges, they have problems. Uh, they might be leading a company, but that doesn't mean you know how to lead your thoughts and your body and everything else in between. Right. I was going to ask you, with that jump to training CEOs, um, obviously it attracts a certain 
personality type, um, alpha males, alpha females, uh, to that role. How did you um, go in, because you mentioned about, um, you know, a didactive uh, uh, approach. How did you manage to work that in with uh, different personalities, with the stronger personalities to be able to uh, get them to change? Stronger personalities I've found easier because I've had a number of strong personalities in sport. Right. Is there a, is there a strong correlation or a comparison between, um, you know, high-performance sport and CEOs? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think there's a correlation up until 10 years ago. We've rounded it out now. Okay. 10, 15 years ago, a number of the CEOs or execs I'd work with, they'd been taught, even if it was just subtle messaging, that you don't bring your full personality to work. So you know, leave your shoes at the front door and also leave your full personality and come in here and just be robust and be strong. A coach I had that really shaped me, and he's still a good mate of mine, is Steve Rickson, who uh, wicketkeeper, and then he was coach at New South Wales Cricket. And Stump has evolved a lot over the years as well. We laugh about this. But my interview with Stumper back at New South Wales Cricket, it went for about five minutes. So I was wearing a suit. He rocks up, he's in a track suit. And I said, oh, hello, Mr. Rickson. He says, that's my dad. Uh, call me Steve <laughs> or call me Stumper. Do you have a nickname? I said, yeah, it's Maisie. I said, is there a job description? This was for uh, my first role in sport back in Sydney as the strength and conditioning coach for New South Wales cricket team. Can I swear on your podcast or do I need yeah. to? No, right, yeah. <laughs> he said, job description, you come to a session tomorrow, the guys have got a recovery session. If they like you, stay. If not, fuck off. <laughs> and, and I said, is that it? He said, oh, oh, no, there's one other rule. I said, what's that? He said, it's rule number one. What's that? Don't ever be late. Because okay? if you're late, fuck off. See you tomorrow. <laughs> so I rocked up the next morning, so nervous, like I was 45 minutes early. And seven, eight years later, I'm still there. And in the initial couple of years, Stumper would be like, all right, we'll do the fitness and the amazing fuck off. It's it's cricket. But to his credit, he saw how it was integrated. It wasn't just do fitness and then play cricket. So I had some great role models like Stumper who were <laughs> Uh, quite didactic, who were very strong. So, Tim, I found that personality I knew, and, and I knew with a lot of those people, like like Stump, underneath it all, he's a, he's a teddy bear, he's a lovely guy, and he's very connected and very warm. The person I found more challenging was the person who wasn't as forceful on that, and they maybe weren't telling me exactly what was going on. Because I find someone forceful, at least it's out on the table, and you yeah. can have a bit of a healthy banter. And with that personality pushing back or at least talking to them and having that that dialogue, a respect comes. Where I was struggling was if I had someone who wasn't open or who maybe was struggling, I didn't know the levers to open up that conversation. So that's people armoring up basically and not really wanting to let anybody have a look into the inner workings of who they are. Uh, I've seen a shift towards um, a greater vulnerability and an acceptance of being vulnerable and being authentic, which has been really positive. And I think you've displayed that really well through your podcast, which is great. I know I've got so many great episodes that I've enjoyed. I've, I've had days when I woke up miserable and grumpy. And by the time I've got to where I'm going, I've, I've listened to 20 minutes of a podcast with one of your guests and it's back on. You know, it's great because it's... It- I'm glad you got that sequencing right. I'm <laughs> felt better after listening to the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Said, hey, I, I woke up and listened to your podcast and I felt tired and grumpy. So good good boy getting the sequencing right, yeah. yeah. But, it, but I've seen a, a definite shift in that acceptance, especially um, with guys, to be able to to open up. And it's, it's not seen as a weakness to, to say if you're struggling with something 
or to uh, be vulnerable, which is um, definitely a good thing. Yeah, yeah. For, for for three of us, our generation, our dads weren't as expressive in their emotions. And I notice with my dad now, he's in his mid seventies. It tells me he loves me every time I get off the phone. Now, dad didn't tell me he loved me until my mid twenties, the first time. And it was really yeah. awkward, and so can me. A number of years, I was in my mid twenties, and now when he says that, I say, "Back, Dad, I love you." Yeah, and 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 I feel it, and it doesn't feel awkward. And I'm sure lots of people listening will go, "Ah, oh, he's talking to me." I feel like that as well. Up until forty, when did I meet you, Tim? I reckon it was around uh, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Yeah, so it was just before I went through a couple of years before I went through marriage breakdown, right, and. At that stage, the persona I had, I was selling. I was working to, you know, I was on TV, I'd written a book, I was doing some speaking, but I set myself up as the high performer because I'd been good at school, I'd been good at sport, and then I built and sold a business and I was good at that. So people got me because I was, in inverted commas, high performer. And then I went through a marriage breakdown. I was uh, 40, had two young kids from an Irish Catholic background, and I walked around, I now know I walked around with functioning depression. And I'd hop on stages and talk about well-being and all this stuff. And I would shift into a state. And then I'd go into back into my hotel room and burst into tears because yeah. I had no wife or partner, uh, no kids permanently. It was you know, half the time, no house, living in an apartment, no dog, no purpose, no meaning. Because I built this schema, this this story that life is all about winning and achieving. And then what happened when I fell down? Mm. So the two years having to pick myself back up and and yeah, drop the bullshit, drop the facade. My best mate Mario, who I finished school with in Dubbo, he's a great man, and he said to me, "Andy, I know you're not okay." He asked me a question, I won't say what it is, and I answered. He said, "Mate, I know you're not okay." Go see someone. We laugh about it now. And I saw a wonderful psychologist, Jill McNaught, who helped me unpack the schema. I had that that winning and life is about all these wonderful achievements. It's actually also about how you pick yourself up. So, Tim, when I sort of talk about the evolution of science, yeah, science helps and then working in sport helps. But where I think I really get traction with an exec or a CEO when I say two other bits on my B side. So we often lead with the A side. You both remember cassettes <laughs> and it's your top hits. And my B-side <laughs> is I had cancer and I, and I judged it on my daughter's uh, age. I had uh, cancer and melanoma on my uh, left scapula removed just before Mickey was born. She's now a gorgeous 15-year-old. But with cancer, I lived. Uh, my spiritual father, a man named Bruce Eaton, who was my masseur in Hobart, Bruce died three months after he was diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed two days after me. So when I went to say goodbye to Bruce, I thought, oh, my God, the dice can roll different ways. Why is Bruce not here? But then I got on with it, and I didn't really learn from that. It was like I had cancer and lived. But then going through a marriage breakdown, the story, the schema I'd built from an Irish Catholic background, mum and dad are still together after 50-plus years, I felt like such a failure. So if I saw you, Tim, in those early years, I probably would have avoided you because I didn't want to talk about where I was. Or I would have made something up. And then I just now go, hey, we all have highs and lows. And that's part of the human experience. And yeah. when I talk to an exec like that, especially men, they go, oh, here's my story. And then the yeah, bullshit yeah. facade yeah. comes down and they're real. 
and then you get onto some practices and some coaching around it. Yeah. Andrew, can I ask, I'm interested in that because I can see how you having had that experience, that can help the your advice and, well, your empathy and then your advice to the executives. What do you find are the biggest things that they need to work on? Are there commonalities or is it different across executives? Uh, what are some of the big things that you'd work on with them? Yeah, it, look, I did learn a lot from that, Gene, from that experience, but it was expensive. So, mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when, when you go through a marriage breakdown, anyone who has, um, it, it's extremely expensive and not just from a financial, from an emotional, from every hour's spiritual point of view. So I, I like to tell my male and female clients, you know, lean in and listen because you can save, seriously can, a lot of people can save a relationship breakdown by putting some of these building blocks into practice. But there's five when I talk about leadership capacity. And these are the essential building blocks. If you don't do this, we don't get to the fancy stuff because I'll often get someone come to me, I want to do presentation skills. Or, yeah. Can you can you work with me on high-order mental skills? I had someone recently said, look, I know you're working with Tim Sue and I've seen a real shift in him. Can you teach me with confidence? I went, yeah, yeah. Let's start with storytelling and the narrative you tell yourself. So we start at the basics first. So the five basics are, number one is operating rhythm. And we've got to get the the work and the year in balance. Now, if I look out of my office where I'm yeah. recording from, a beautiful sunny day today. The sun rose this morning. It'll go down tonight. Tides rise, tides fall. There's this natural rhythm in nature. And we need a similar rhythm in, in the corporate cycle. So you're in the Sydney, second, are you, Andrew? Sorry, you're. I'm in Sydney, yeah. Yeah, by the beach, are you? Uh, in Lavender Bay. Lavender Bay. The, oh, yep, yep. I know the, it. Yep. The, the Harbour Bridge. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is operating with them. The second one we look at is energy balance, and this is where I'd say, Jane, yeah, what's draining your energy? Uh, aren't mm. you here to boost my energy, champ? No, no. First, let's put a plug in the bath and stop you draining energy. Yeah. And that can be relationships, uh, very pertinent to your great podcast finances uh, make sure you're it, basic on wealth management you know, spend less than you earn uh where else are you draining energy and then we can look at boosting energy the third one i look at is down regulation and i, I blame pierre de cabertin the little frenchman back in 1894 who carved out the olympic <laughs> motto citius altius fortius do you both know what that means how's your latin I remember you talking about this on one of your podcasts, and I, I know the bit that you're going to say, which is missing, um, yeah. and I can't remember exactly what it is, but I know the missing bit. Faster, higher, stronger. And, and rest is what's missing. There's no rest and recovery, yeah. so the Latin word for that is recapatio. So if we could go back to 1894, Pierre de Coubert didn't love what you created with the Olympic movement, but you missed recovery, champ. The fourth one is mental skills. If I said to both of you, if you want to get your body fit, fast, flexible, and strong, what do you do? Go to a gym, join a sport, get a personal trainer. If you want to get your brain fit, fast, flexible, and strong, what do you do? Go to the mental skills gym. And then the fifth one is using wearable tech to track it. So if I go through the five, number one is get a sustainable operating rhythm. Number two is get the right energy balance. Get rid of what's draining energy, and then we're going to amplify what boosts energy. Number three, we look at down-regulation, which is psychological detachment and parasympathetic activation. So that rounds out the Olympic motto. Four is mental skills. And five, get a wearable so you can get some KPIs to see exactly where your body is tracking. They're the building blocks. And when I get someone on that, I know they're going to be sustainable and yeah. they're going to be able to get to that next level. I keep forgetting what parasympathetic means. 
Andrew, are you able to explain what what you mean by parasympathetic? Was it parasympathetic? Yeah, parasympathetic. So stress is sympathetic nervous system. Recovery is parasympathetic. So parasympathetic just means everything dials down. So heart rate drops. Okay. Your rest, your recovery rates go up. Your digestion drops down. Your blood pressure drops. Your muscle uh, contractile it all drops. But interestingly, when your body down regulates and gets into parasympathetic, one thing goes up, slow brainwave patterns. So for your cerebral people listening to this going, well, why do I need to do all this fitness stuff or body stuff? Well, when you slow down your body, your slow brainwave patterns go up. The slow brainwave pattern, so when we get out of beta, which we would be now thinking, talking, reflecting, and when you drop into those, those alpha brainwaves, that's where you come up with your best decisions. That's where you problem solve. You know, that's where you get creativity. So it's getting this nice dance chain mm. between your body up and down. But we're geared, everything's up. Everything's about yeah. upregulate. And recovery or downregulate is seen as a weakness. That's so rubbish. Hi, it's Andrew. Just a quick break from the program to let you know about our Performance Intelligence Mastermind. You see, every week I get a number of requests from people wanting to do coaching. And the coaching I do, it is high-end, it's high-touch, and it's pretty high on investment. It starts at $15,000, a coaching consignment, and I know that price is prohibitive, or it's just not the right price point for many people. So, on Monday the 9th of October, we're launching Performance Intelligence Mastermind. We've been running this program for a number of corporate clients, and we're going to start making this available for people like you. Every quarter has a theme. So quarter one is all about being match fit. It's physical and psychological well-being. Quarter two is all about productivity and working smarter. Quarter three is about mental skills and performing under pressure. And quarter four is about embedding change, habit stacking. It's around leadership and the legacy you want to leave. It's a comprehensive program. I have been coaching, facilitating, teaching, presenting, doing all these different domains for over 25 years. I'm really, really proud of this program. It is only available for a small number of people, about 15 to 20. If you go to andrewmay.com slash performance intelligence mastermind, you'll find more information. We also want to make sure it's the right program for you. So we're asking you a couple of questions as well. Assuming it all matches, bang, we're going to start this the week commencing Monday 9th of October. Love you to join us. And can I ask you about this operating rhythm? I think I understand what you're talking about because I've read Match Fit. And what I liked about that is you talk about how in if you're a sports person, you've got the season and you've got the off season, and then you've got when the game day, and then you've got the days of recovery. So it's built into the the actual game itself or the or the uh, the sport. Are you encouraging people to think like that? Like if I'm a business executive, I've got to be thinking about that at work. I just can't be full on all the time because I'm, I'm going to burn out. I need to yeah have the periods, those performance moments, as you call them. And then in other times, I've got to take it a bit easier so I can recover. Is that what you're... Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and I've taken it a bit further since Match Fit. That was the genesis of this thought. But if you look at your, your year, look at a calendar, mm. there, there's two components which have really influenced this. One is having kids. I've got four of them. So there's a thing called school holidays. So school terms go for 10 or 11 weeks, unless if your kids are at private schools, you pay more money and they're at school less. Think about that. It's like a Seinfeld <laughs> episode. <laughs> but, uh, but let's say you go hard for 10 or 11 weeks and then you have holidays 
uh, you might be able to take you know one week, five days. So you're downregulating. Then go hard for 10 or 11 weeks and downregulate. So that, that you understand as a parent with a school term. Second one was from working with companies like ComBank at the executive level. It's called a corporate reporting cycle, but every quarter they do reporting. So they have a board meeting and then wrap out that quarter and then a lot of the execs you know, downregulate for a week. So And those two patterns are in sync, Jane. Mm. So for anyone who works at the high level, and if you have kids or if you just understand the education cycle, it's being built in on sustainability. Where we stuff it up is we go hard for 10 or 11 weeks and we think more is more. Whereas mm. the term in the military, and I'm, I'm blessed to do a lot of work with the Navy now, it's slowing down in order to speed up. Yeah. So you're downregulating. You're having your body and brain chance to recover, and then you bounce back up. So with the podcast, as an example, my podcast, Performance Intelligence, we do 10 episodes, yeah, four times a year. And in between the two weeks, uh, we downregulate and have a break, and then I have summer off. Now, I know I can do that podcast for years, but with the workload and other stuff I do, if I was punching out a podcast every week, I'd find it too much. Yeah. So that's an example where I've set up the operating rhythm of the podcast to our business operating rhythm, and it works. Yeah. And then, and then you've got that on a micro level as well on a daily basis that you'd still need to downregulate on regular uh, building habits, I guess, into into your day so you can do that on a in a 24-hour cycle. Yeah. Sounds like the... Uh, the personal trainer physiologist coming out of you there, Tim. It is I've been like listening you go, to you. <laughs> so you go, go macro, so go yeah. your quarterly rhythm, and yeah. then there's a monthly – well, there's an annual rhythm, there's a quarterly, a monthly, a weekly, and a daily. So let's just bookend. We've done the big big annual. Then every day, put in a couple of moments to just help you, even micro-recovery, and you can do it in 30 seconds or three minutes. That's yeah. all you need. Anyone yeah. listening to this who's too busy to do some activities for 30 seconds or three minutes, uh, you're, you're fooling yourself and you're operating inefficiently if you don't build in some moments to just switch off and then go again. It's a case of prioritizing then. The importance of this can't be overlooked, but too many times I've done it myself, as I'm sure you have, where you've overlooked it in the past and you just keep burning at both ends and before you know it, you run out of wick. Yeah. I mean, what I'd like to ask, Andrew, is does this apply to all businesses? Because there are some businesses, like you think about investment banks, there's almost this expectation uh, in investment banks that you'll just work, uh, like you'll do all these all-nighters all and uh, and just work yourself to death almost. And But there's a real sort of macho, uh, macho culture in some of these investment banks can you do that? Is that something that's, I mean, obviously it's not sustainable, but I'm just wondering, like, what sort of advice do you give people? Do you advise that, look, you just got to try and get rid of that culture in your organizations because it's not healthy? Or do you recognize that in some places, such as investment banks, if you're trying to get a deal uh, together, uh, you're doing due diligence on a big deal, would you advise, okay, you can do that sometimes, but then you do need the the breaks? I mean, how do you how do you balance that out? I mean, is, are there times when you do have to act in that extreme manner or work really, you know, do an all-nighter every now and then? Yes, you're giving me the curly questions, lads, aren't you? <laughs> Let, let's answer that on three levels. Yeah. Let's answer that on science. Let's answer that on outliers. And let's answer that on money, the big M. Yeah. Science shows the majority of people need about six and a half to seven hours of sleep. Yeah. 
Science would show that most people could probably work 45 or 50 hours a week if they're engaged and get recovery and they're going to be sustainable. Outliers and working with some CEOs shows that that's not for everybody. Mm. Some people don't need that much sleep. But if I look at those names you mentioned earlier, so Matt, Nick and Shelley, they all prioritise recovery and they are all wonderful students. I think there's no... No surprise that some of the execs I work with who perform at a high level, when you look behind the scenes, you'd be amazed, some of your listeners would be amazed, the detail at which some of these people have gone into understanding nutrition and and personalising, Tim, their nutrition based on their profile. Uh, They understand heart rate variability. They understand terms like vagus, all these big technical terms, but they get it. One, they, they know then they know how to use it. And that's the experience part. So yeah, I've worked with some, and I think to be a CEO of a, a large publicly listed company or a big private or a startup, you've got to be a little bit deranged. And I mean that with respect, because you've got to be super passionate. You've got to put any notion of balance, and I don't like the word balance, but you've just got to go, I'm going to pour my heart into this mm. and do 70, 80, 90 hours plus and do that for an extended period of time. And that often leads to the third one, M. If you're going to do that and make five, seven, eight, ten million a year, and, and some of the people I work with, I'll say, but what you're going to do, I'm going to help you. You can't do this for the rest of your life. Mm. But if you're going to you know, retire and have 20 or 30 large in a bank, go for it. But just make sure you don't do too much damage now. So that's where I, I, I'm a realist coach. I'll look at, right, what does science tell me? Where are you and what are your physiological points and what's your psychological capacity? And then what's the upshot? Uh, because we've all seen people who only focus on the money and then they burn out. Yeah, And that's the reality. Dr. Tom Buckley, who co-wrote Match Fit with me, we work and we have worked with a number of execs over the years who've pushed themselves that hard. Words like downregulate, words like operating rhythm, words like mental skills, words like you know using wearable tech. You know, words like energy balance, they think it's a crock of shit. <laughs> but they get to a stage where then they actually have to leave the career they're in. And, and the research shows this and practical experience because they've gone that hard. They've cooked themselves that much. Yeah. There's no going back. So at times during the year, I'll go hard. Uh, part of my job is keynote speaking. So in February, mid-year and October, November, bump for sale. Like I'll be on planes, a bit overseas, as well. So if I'm complaining end of October, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so tired, get a new job. (laughs) So I can do that three times a year. So I now know what I need to do to get up for that. I then recover, but then I drop intensity in the rest of the year. So that's that experience working out what can you do? How hard can you go? And it's a real art. There's science in it, but then it's an art. Yeah. On the wearables, what sort of wearables are are you talking about? Do you mean a Fitbit? Is that what they are? Yeah, look, I, I wear a Garmin and I'm aligned to Garmin, uh, but whether it's a Fitbit, a Garmin, uh, a lot of people are wearing the Whoop bands as well, which is really good on heart rate variability. What have I missed on this, Timmy? Uh, Apple Aura watch. rings. Um, Aura rings, I don't yeah. think they have the same capability as those ones you've mentioned, but um, they look cool. <laughs> they do look cool. Look, and they're all, they've all got different pros and cons, Yeah, but Gene, what what to Tom and I look at on wearables, there's a couple of key metrics when I'm working with a high-end exec. One is I want to know their resting heart rate because that shows me how well their body is adapting to the physiology or to the demands of their role. Also, when you're sick, 
or stressed or inflamed, your heart rate will be up. So you can see that there's something wrong in the system and then you know to back off a little bit. The second one I'll look at is sleep. Now, the wearable devices aren't super accurate, but you get a pattern around that. Yeah. We'll look at exercise minutes because we all sit down way too much. So the actual time and exercise we need is a hell of a lot more than it was because we're all so inactive. I'll then look at heart rate variability if the device has it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then two two simple ones. And you can go off and get a DEXA scan, which Tim, you and I do with our clients, but you can also just know what's my weight and what's my waist. So personally, I I know I want my weight to be at around 90 kilos and my waist at 85 or 86 centimetres. And that's it. I've I've kept that there for years. So if my my waist balloons up after Easter, after a holiday, after whatever, you then know what to do just to get it back to that set point. Right. What's this thing, a DEXA scan, is it, did you say? Yeah. Timmy, what does it stand for? Dual... Oh, that's a very good question that I can't answer right now. I'm going to put it in the show notes. That's all, that's all right. It does um, – it's body composition, um, but it's the most accurate way um, because it, it will give you the most accurate uh, measurement of body fat. Bone density. Yeah, the bone density. It's, it's a little bit loose. Mass. Yeah, it's a little bit loose on muscle because I did this um, on a – I did a, a 21-day keto challenge for myself last year, and I was really surprised at how much – muscle you can lose on a, uh, a restricted calorie uh, keto diet, but I, I challenged myself to do it. I lost almost 10 kilos and I was so surprised after the first week I did an extra DEXA scan. I threw another one in. You shouldn't do too many, um, but I, I put an extra one in to see what was going on. Um, but it, it will measure your uh, water, you know, your, your hydration levels, um, but you hold a lot of water in your muscles. And so it's a little bit it, it will come over as being muscle loss, whereas in fact it wasn't quite that dramatic. Fluid. Yeah, because as soon as yeah. you then uh, recharge with carbohydrate, you absorb more water. The, the big thing it does show, two, two or three metrics I like with a DEXA, and, and I'll again tell my high-end execs, go get a DEXA done every six months. Mm. Bone density is really important, so it picks up bone density. And, and I've had a number of mammals, that are cyclers to cycle heaps, but they've come back and their bone density is quite poor because they're not getting that impact. So that yeah. leads to change in their program. This is the middle-aged um, men in Lycra. The middle-aged men in Lycra who yeah. scare women and young children at <laughs> yeah, coffee shops everybody around really. this beautiful country <laughs> themselves. <laughs> uh, so bone density from a DEXA. Uh, fat mass is a big one because you really get a true fat mass. Uh, but look, you don't need to do that. Go to the simple ones. Watch your weight, mm. watch your waist, and, and get a get a set point. And that that uh, that measurement uh, you mentioned is absolutely right. Like that single measurement around the waist will tell you everything else that's going on. Um, so if it's going out, you know that everything else is going to be increasing somewhat. And it's uh, it's the canary down the mine as well. It's the first mm. one that if you start to put weight on, it's the first place to um, for it to show. And why that's in my five for those base building blocks? You got a lot of really intelligent, high end cerebral men and women listening to this podcast. And if I said, so tell me about your business, KPIs, or we've got this metric and we know customer satisfaction, mm. and here's our market penetration, and dun dun dun. Yeah. We just flip that back and go, all right, what's your resting heart rate? Well, why should I know my resting heart rate? Well, that shows how you're responding to stress. Stress is awesome as long as you have recovery or parasympathetic. You know, what's your exercise minute? So we just really turn the language back. Here's your KPIs to run Project You, your body, your brain and make that efficient, and then business and everything else yeah, yeah. revolves around that, rather than, oh, shit, I should look after myself. Mm. Do it first. Yeah. 
I wanted to just say back, first of all, thanks for sharing your story. I really appreciate that because I know that that's, that's a big thing. I didn't realize um, about your cancer. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And also, I wanted to expand on the, with a CEO, for instance, tra- being trained, what, with a shareholder, a company, et cetera, have you come across this at all? Or is it um, something that's been mentioned where shareholders should be uh, invested, if you like, in uh, a healthy executive team? So for instance, if a CEO is being trained, if I was a shareholder, I'd be quite happy about that. And don't want to be health shaming anybody who's not being trained or not being coached. But certainly, I don't know if there's any stats or if there's ROI or data on this um, where shareholders or companies can see a difference in the performance of the company with the performance of their executive team or with the health health and performance of their executive team. It's a dream that I have. And it's a dream I think every allied health professional has is to show that when executives physically, psychologically, emotionally, every other ally socially healthier, there's a return on the bottom line. The data from US is the, is the main data we look at, but you've got to understand you know, the majority of US companies are self-insured, so they need that data. Yeah. So we don't, unfortunately, have that in Australia, Tim. I'll give you the flip side first, but I just used to think it's all about being healthy and fit, but you could have a really healthy male or female executive and they're a narcissistic, toxic, aggressive asshole. Mm. <laughs> so where does that fit? Are you better to have someone who has got really good emotional regulation and and good understanding of others, that EQ? When we look at social contagion theory, how you show up is how others around you show up. So if you show up in a nice state and you've got this open growth mindset and you're nurturing talent, others will do the same as well. I think if you get the balance of both, if you have health as a basis, and I'm biased, right? I studied exercise phys, I spent time with lots of sports, I absolutely know that when you have a physical base, and Dr. John Rady wrote about this in his book, one of the first neuroscientists to show, if you've got a physical base, you're going to think better. Mm. But I just want to balance that out as well, because I have worked with a number of men and women who, you know, they don't have the body fat they want, or they may not look in the mirror and flex, but they're a wonderful person. And they're really good at at community. And they've got amazing citizenship. And uh, I think getting the blend of both is optimal. This is a question I'm interested in. What level would you want to get a CEO up to? I mean, uh, you know, you want to get them to a weight where they're not overweight, at least, and there may be an ideal weight they're shooting for. But I mean, you, I'm just I'm just wondering. They don't need to get to an elite level of performance athletically, do they? Or in the gym? Okay, how no, do you... no, no, they don't. Well, some some I work with do, but the, okay. I, I just say, look, anything now, you're getting into territory which is more around your goals, okay. your performance, your crazy brain, and it's not actually going to help you. And 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 it can be detrimental. And it can also be really boring. Like no one wants to sit next to the age group triathlete vegan champion at a dinner party and they're going vegan and not having dessert. Like you run away from those people. <laughs> they're boring as batshit, right? So you've also got to be normal around this. But two, two factors I want all my executives chasing, and this is linked to longevity. Dr. Peter Atiyah, I've got his yep, book here. Yeah, Outlive. Outlive, which is a great book. Yeah, great book. And but the two factors, and, and Dr. Tom and I have been saying this for a number of years. Atiyah backs it up, but he, he's, he's just so articulate. You want to be chasing one VO2 max, the maximum volume of oxygen per milliliter per kilogram per minute. And a lot of the watches will tell you that. 
too, is you want to chase muscle, lean body mass. So on all the programs that I do, and Tim, I can't help myself, I still get on the tools a bit, but I, I cut out the long junk bike rides. You don't yeah. need to do three or four hour bike rides. And in fact, that has some problems around that. But do a shorter, sharper one to get the VO2 max up, but then get in the gym and, and lift. Yeah. So if, you, if you're doing that blend between some short, sharp exercise and some weights, that's shown to really help with longevity. Now, another marker on this, which is not aesthetics, it's more around science, is biological age. Mm. So with my business, Strive Stronger, we have, and, and lots of people have a biological age, but Dr. Tom Buckley, Associate Professor at Sydney Uni and some leading neuroscientists, psychologists, physiologists, behaviour experts, we've come up with a score. It's the Live Life score, which is a biological age and a mental fitness gauge. On the biological age, and Tim, you, know, you and I have been doing this stuff for years, I want all of my clients to be five years younger. Yeah. Let's say you're 42, your birth certificate, 42. Mm. I want your biological age to be 37. And that buffer in physiology allows you to have extra capacity, extra energy for demands you don't know is coming. Mm. Who was ready for lockdown and COVID? Yeah. No one. Nah. So if someone had a biological age 10 years older and they're tired and they're in inflammation and they don't have energy and you whack on a change like that, you're not going to respond really well. So the, the two metrics, we want to chase VO2 max and we want to chase lean body mass or muscle, but we use a biological age score and that gives everyone a really good metric. Are you five years younger or not? And I get people go, oh, but mate, I've got big bones or, you know, um, German heritage. and like, like, Just be five years younger yeah. yeah, and then we'll have a chat. So VO2 max is the best thing for that interval training, high-intensity yeah. interval training? Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, within a certain range. Like you don't want to go, if you've been doing nothing, don't go yeah. out and run a 400 metre now because you'll keel over. Yeah. And what I like about your your work, Andrew, is you, you're you a big proponent of people just getting out and walking and going, for, you know, getting your 10,000 steps a day in. I think that's really good. I love the word pulse. Like we've got a pulse. So yes. we've got to train hard, high intensity. That'll get your VO2 max up. Yeah. But then you've just got to walk. Mm. Yeah. You should eat food and good food, and Tim can tell you all the details on this, but you also should fast. If, if you're a male listening to this and you're 40 to 45 plus years age and you're not fasting, you're doing yourself a disservice because it will do wonders for taking off fat, wonders for lean body mass, wonders for your hormones as well. Uh, we should get heat. Like I, I'm a big proponent of regular sauna. And, and yeah. for the right person as well, can make sure your heart's okay, but cold, cold water. And we should stress the body. We should recover the body. So the teaching, and Gina's taken me a while to realise this, it's the range. Go hard, but then downregulate. Now, eat food and then fast. Whereas what so many people do under stress is we're in static linearity. There's yeah. no high, yeah. but there's definitely no low. And with, with that um, comparison, that's where energy... It comes from having that uh, comparison, like you know, when you talk about being on that level, energy's flat, nothing happens. But when you downregulate and recover and all those things, so more and more, I can see that it's what people bring—the uh, energy that people bring to work or to relationships or to whatever they do. It's all about energy, and uh, what, you, what you're describing there is perfectly describing energy management. 
you, you know this from your training, but you know, the energy exchange is carbohydrate plus oxygen, yep. which gets water and carbon dioxide. So C6H12O6 plus O2 leads to CO2 plus H2O. I wouldn't, quite have, I wouldn't quite have recorded it like that, but I, I go where you're going. <laughs> but there's physical energy, and, and that's just your body's fundamental basics. Yeah. And if you don't work with that from a physical point of view, every other energy source is going to be interrupted. And then you've got the psychological and emotional. Uh, yeah. And it's all interrelated. Right. Love it. Andrew, we're coming to the end of the the time. So I uh, just want to ask, uh, what coaching do you offer and how can people get in touch with you? I coach the high end, so executive coaching. Uh, and I, I don't have a lot of vacancies. So <laughs> that's why I was sort of pausing on that. <laughs> I, oh, I allocate, well, you're all online as well. Yeah, not just. Yeah, I, I, I allocate half a day a week to coaching and there's a couple that are going to start soon. And and why, why I, I do half a day because I love coaching, but I do a lot of other things as well. So I just try and keep it to half a day. But we are launching a group coaching program as well, which is called Performance Intelligence Mastermind. So that's going to be a 12-month program with a quarterly focus. So Q1 is all about getting match fit. Q2 is about working smarter and being productive. Q3 is around mental skills, and then Q4 is around habit stacking. Yeah, so if anyone wants to find out about that, they can go to my website, andrewmay.com, and you'll be able to find the details there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So it's taking a lot of what I've learned and getting some other people in my business to really try and scale. So that's a, a nice challenge we've got is to take the message out to a larger group. And I see a lot of the Americans especially doing masterminds, and I've thought for a while, I've got to do that, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm doing a couple of uh, family business forums using this format. And it's have you done group coaching like that, Tim? It's amazed me, mate. No, the results, and in fact, as good some of the results as you get one on one. Yeah. No, I'd like to talk more about that. I mean, I know you've got so much good stuff. Um, I've seen with Matchfit, which is an excellent book. Um, that I recommend people go out and and uh, get a copy. And you've also got an eight week program with Matchfit as well that people can sign up to. So that's for anybody, Maisie, is that right? Individuals, whether you're executive or not? Yeah, yeah. MatchFit is one of those absolute basics to get physical fitness and psychological fitness. And so that metric now, the live life score, is aligned to that. So your biological age and making sure you have that psychological flexibility. So yeah, the MatchFit book is a good start for people as well. And that's, it's 30 bucks. So that's bargain. Uh, it's a lot, lot cheaper than the coaching program. It's a bargain. Um, but I have to say, like, it's the basics where people often slip up, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it, there's so much good information out there. There's so much, it can be overwhelming um, with the amount of information that's there. And quite often, I think, um, it can distract people from getting the basics right. You know, you get those uh, those simple things right. The, you know, how you eat, how you move, how you sleep, and um, how you connect. All the things you talk about. Uh, so that Match Fit um, program, the eight-week one, I think uh, is very accessible for anybody. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully if anyone's out there listening and you uh, you want to um, get in contact with Andrew for some executive coaching, you're going to have to be quick by the sound of it. <laughs> or jump, jump into the mastermind. Yeah. yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes <laughs> to, to your website and your podcast, Andrew. Andrew, May, thanks so much for your time. We've really enjoyed it and appreciate uh, your insights. Thanks so much. Yeah, you've asked some good questions today. You had me dancing a bit, so yeah, I appreciate you keeping <laughs> on my toes as well.